so if you have um, old-fashioned pen and paper or a bulletin in front of you, there's pens in the chairs in front of you, or you don't have that and you have a phone, I want you to take your phone out and text yourself. It, this works. Um, or write down on that bulletin in pen the following. I'll wait. I see some people are just going to see how patient I am. I'm patient. I'm patient. So phone or the bulletin, piece of paper that you might have with you, and a pen that's in the front of the chair in front of you. Text yourself or write yourself the following. Undeserved. Unmerited. Hopefully autocorrect will help you with that. Undeserved, unmerited. Love. And favor. Undeserved, unmerited, love, and favor. Five words. Unmerited, undeserved, love, and favor or undeserved, unmerited, love, and favor. It doesn't matter the order of those words. Undeserved, unmerited, love, and favor. So, text yourself, remember that note, write that down on the bulletin. It's one of those things that the really good thing, if you still have the old-fashioned paper Bible, to put one of those notes somewhere, undeserved, unmerited, love, and favor. That, I think, is a well-deserved definition for the word grace for the word grace undeserved unmerited love and favor it's something that we want lots of but it's something that it's very hard for us to give to others and outside of our initial introduction to grace undeserved unmerited love and favor we sometimes have a difficult time understanding grace in the Christian life. It's one of those Christian words that we use all the time. Oh, God's grace. Oh, did you experience God's grace? And we, we talk about God's grace. And it is a real difficult concept to put into action and understanding. And so for the next four weeks, we're going to be look at, we're going to look at this idea of grace and how God expresses us, expresses to us that undeserved, unmerited love and favor and how we are then challenged to live gracefully with others by overwhelming them with undeserved, unmerited love and favor. But we can't start talking about this topic of grace, this big Christian word. It occurs in the Greek, I think, about 165 times. So it's an important word in the New Testament, another 40 or 50 in the Old Testament. So it's an important concept, and it is one that is vital to our Christian growth. And we see the beginnings of that Christian growth in Ephesians chapter 2. And so turn there with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Because in Ephesians chapter 2, God sets out some of the application of this undeserved, unmerited love and favor that he bestows upon us, his children. And it's a, it's a Pretty famous passage of scripture, Ephesians chapter 2, and we're going to start in verse 6. And God raised us up with Christ 
and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. What an amazing declaration Paul starts out with in this section. This amazing relationship that we have with Jesus, we raised with him. That is in his death and burial and resurrection, Jesus and God counted us as part of that amazing historical feat of power over sin. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. So we have a position of, in Christ, one of amazing privilege is really the only way to say it. We have amazing privilege as we are believers in Christ of being seated with him. Now, where is he seated? Well, he's seated in the heavenly realms. He's seated next to the power of God, his very presence. It continues in verse 7. In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. So God says, we raised you in Christ. In his resurrection, you were considered raised from the dead, new creations, and you are now seated at the right hand of God with that power, with that privilege, with that authority, and with that amazing closeness to the Father so that there's purpose behind it. It's not just to make us feel good. It's not just to make us longingly expect heaven. It's not for us just simply to rejoice. There's a purpose. In order that in the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us through Christ Jesus. God says, I put you in this place with Jesus. I've raised you from the dead. I've made you unique in all of creation and given you a place of incredible privilege so that I could show you how amazing this is. So that I could show you how incredible my rich is. My riches are towards you. So I can show you my love towards you. So that I can show you how amazingly interested I am in you as a person. Redeemed in the Lord Jesus Christ. So he put us in this position. He gave us this amazing privilege to be near to God so that he would show us how awesome it is to be near to God. He just wants to continually shower you, overwhelm you with this understanding that in Christ, it is good. It is good to be in a relationship with God. It is good to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. It is good to be forgiven. It is good to see his mercies. It is good to take a breath every morning and shout praises to his name. It is good to gather with his people. Jesus wants you to know that it is good what he has given you. And he says, in the coming ages, I just want to demonstrate my kindness to you. I want you to see the kindness. I want you to see the goodness. I want you to see the love. That's amazing to have God so interested in us that not only does he save us, but he wants to multiply upon us how great of a relationship that really is. We know it's good. We know it's nice to have our sins forgiven. We know it's, it's good to be able to sing praises to him. We know it's awesome to be able to pray to him and he takes our burdens from us. We know it's good to have him surrounding us with his protection and love. But he says, I want you to know how good it is that you know it's good. He just wants to expand upon how good this relationship is with us. And he says, you need to know this. 
you need to know how good it is to have a relationship with me through my son, Jesus Christ. He continues in verse 8, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is a gift to God. This is the beginnings of how we get into this relationship with God. And he says it starts with this thing called grace. Undeserved, unmerited love and favor from God to us. And he says it started in this process when you were saved. And the verse tells us how we were saved. It's, saved is, a, is one of those, again, Christian words that we tend to use and we just assume everyone knows what we're talking about. Are you saved? We're saved. And God goes into detail about what being saved is, how it actually even took place, just so that we understand the God behind salvation. And I know this is going to sound really weird at the moment, but let me follow through. Being saved is not so much about you. Okay, it does include you. I mean, you're obviously necessary in the equation, but it's not all about you. It's not all about the day you remember raising your hand, walking down an aisle, saying a sinner's prayer. It's not all about that. It's about God working in your life to bring you to a place where you said, I have no hope in myself. I need a Savior. It's God working in us to get us to that point where we go, I recognize undeserved, unmerited love and favor. Because he basically says, you got this grace without any earning of it, without any merit, without any work towards it. He says that very thing. He says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. That's our side, faith, belief that Jesus Christ is indeed our Lord and Savior. And this is not from yourselves, that is, Faith is not even from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works so that no one could boast. See, when I said this is not all about us, the whole saved by grace, this whole understanding of grace itself and being saved, God says this is a tremendous, amazing thing that's happened. You were dead in Christ and now you were raised with him as if you had never sinned. You have his righteousness, and you are now seated in a privileged position of immense joy and protection and holiness. You are surrounded by God's glory in his throne room as an individual. And all of this took place so that you would see how amazingly awesome and loving God is towards you, so that when you think about your salvation, you realize I'm not the important factor in this. God is. God is the one who acted in this. God is the one who made the step and said, I want you in my family. I want you in my kingdom. I want you in my presence forever and ever and ever so that you would know how great it is to be loved on. Not deserving and not merited. And he says, it's not by works. It's not by your effort. It's not by your smarts. It's not by your wisdom. It's not by your upbringing. It's not because you know better than others. It's because of this thing called grace.
grace, undeserved, unmerited love and favor. Sounds like someone did text themselves. That's great. <laughs> no, babe, I told you to text yourself. That's all right. Um, and this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works so that no one could boast. Paul is so wise. Obviously, it's the working of the Holy Spirit in Paul to give us these inspired words. But Paul is so wise in writing this because he knows the condition of the human heart. He knows that if there is the possibility for you to take credit, for you to take the praise, for you to get a pat on the back, you're going to take it. Because, after all, we're human. We like to be acknowledged. We like to be told, oh, good job. You know, we get excited about that. Great job. And Paul knows there's such a temptation with something so beautiful, something so good, something so selfless in the act of Jesus dying for us, Jesus paying our debt, Jesus taking our sins, God putting the whole thing into motion before creation even took place, before you were even born, God put in his heart a love for you that was a dying love. That in all of that, if I'm able to stand and say, yeah, but I was really a, a smart person for choosing God. I, yeah, I made the right decision. And you start using that word I, even in something so selfless and so not you, Paul knows there's the potential for even in something so beautiful and good as salvation for you to take credit. For you to stand up and say, yeah, I'm here in heaven because I did this, I did that. And Paul says, even your faith, which we need to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ in order to be saved, even our faith we're going to try and take credit for and say, that was all of me. And Paul says, no, even the faith, it was a gift from God. The focus isn't on you and salvation. The focus is on the mercy, tenderness, kindness, love, grace of God. And then Paul concludes in that verse 10 in that section. Verse 9, not by works so that anyone could boast. And verse 10 tells us the whole culmination of it. For we are God's handiwork, created by Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. Now that verse is packed full of just gems, it starts out by telling us, for we are God's handiwork. You are God's art project. Did anyone have an art project in school? I, I admit, um, while I was not good at math, I tolerated it, and while I was not really good at history, and I wasn't really good at grammar and English, and science just didn't always make sense to me. Art, though, art was the most difficult of them all. I, I, I knew, I knew in college that my art professor that taught, um, that uh, I had a class in pottery, I know he was just being gracious by giving me an A in the class, going it resembles something made out of clay. Good job, Tim. Uh, I, I, it fascinates me. 
how people can create something with their hands. It, it really does fascinate me. And, and those that can create something with their hands, whether it be art or something even, uh, you know, mechanical, just, I don't know how people do it. I mean, I have tried it in school. It just is not for me. I, if I was to make something and call it my handiwork, it would, well, I'll give you an example. A wood workshop in high school, we were supposed to make a jewelry box for uh, our moms. Oh, bless my mom. I brought home a two-by-four with nails stuck in it and said, this is where you're supposed to hang your necklaces. <laughs> she put it out. She put it on her dresser, and she actually put a necklace on it, and it was so bad. That's my handiwork. And then I look at God's. And you might be critical of your looks. You might be critical of other people's looks. But I got to tell you, what I see in front of me is good. It's good. And you go, oh, Tim, you don't know the problems I've got, how my body has just fallen apart. I get it. But you are so much more than just your body. You are body and soul, body and spirit. Your soul, your wholeness has been redeemed by Christ. And you are a child of God. That is precious. What kind of power did it take to create you? Amazing power. Just simply mind-boggling how our body works physically, how our soul and our body are connected, how God takes care of both, how he redeems both, how he's promised a brand new body without disease or pain or sorrow or breaking apart. His handiwork, his art project of you is simply breathtaking. And Paul says, you are his handiwork. You are his handiwork created molded, made in Christ Jesus. See, our life is so tied as a believer to Jesus, it's inseparable. We can't live independent of the work of Jesus. We can't work independent of his kindness, of his righteousness, of his perfection. We are united to him. That's why Paul says, hey, when he died, you died. When he rose, you rose. When he's seated with God, you're seated with God. In God's mind, you are already present with him in heaven, in eternal glory and bliss. Oh, how I wish that was the case today. But he said, no, not today. You're still pilgrims through this weary and dry land at times, so that you would fulfill verse 10 of Ephesians chapter 2. We still have a work to do. He says, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works. To do good works works to be active as believers to be engaged with one another so that i might show kindness so that i might show servitude so that i might show generosity so that i might show patience so that i might appreciate the work of art god has created in each of you so that i might demonstrate to a world that is full of hurt a world that is massively confused about right and wrong, a world that seeks after self-love and self-praise and show them there is this good gift from God called grace, and it's undeserved. 
It's unmerited. It is love and favor that God bestows upon us with liberality, with generousness, like a flood that overwhelms. Have you seen, uh, many years ago when the tsunami hit Japan, uh, it was amazing the devastation that those waves created. I mean, changed landscapes entirely, all through the power of water. God's grace is like that waterfall to us. It's like that flood. It's like that overwhelming presence that changes and shapes us into the art project that God wants to demonstrate to the world. And we have a responsibility in that art project. We're not just passive recipients. We are active engagers that Scripture many times talks about us being the army of God. A force to be reckoned in this world. An army of righteousness. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. So just in case you get in your mind, well, I'm doing a lot of good. Where's my plaque? Uh, God says, no, no, no. Listen. <laughs> Even all those good works you're doing, I prepared, prepared them. I already knew the way I gifted you and talented you, the way I wired your brain, the experiences I gave you, the opportunities I gave you that you seized upon, all of that. It's in my grand plan for you to be the best version of Jesus Christ I can make you out to be in this present life and then in the future it's going to be absolutely perfect. So even in all of that goodness, God says, I planned it out. None of it is by chance. None of it is just simply rolling the dice and hoping it works out. I've designed it. And it all started with this word called grace, which is defined how? Undeserved, unmerited, love, and favor that God bestows upon his people. Amazing truth. I mean, it is, it is right there in black and white. It, it is simple to understand. It is difficult to accept why someone would love someone that deeply. Why I don't have to give back to God to get this kind of love. That's not how we work. We work in a, in a world of give and take, of earning and receiving. And we feel it's very unfair if we did the work and we don't get compensated for it. We feel it's very unfair if we did something and we don't get recognized for it. Um, that's, that's part of our sinful nature, that we want praise and we want to earn it ourselves. Well, sometimes there's this idea we want to be given everything and do nothing, but that, that also is just as bad as wanting the praise. Uh, God starts our relationship off with grace. And I have experienced that as I spend time in my Christian life, now over 30 years. Wow, that's some patience on his part. But I have caught myself at multiple times in my Christian experience and my Christian walk where I talk about grace, I acknowledge God's grace, I can preach about God's grace, and I can remember the moment God's grace was revealed to me in miraculous ways. 
but I kind of take it upon myself over time to walk in grace presently. You see, I get myself sometimes mixed up in wanting to earn God's favor, of wanting to earn his merit. And I do it in really odd, strange ways by wanting to keep rules. And I feel like if I keep rules, then I kind of pay God back for his kindness, because that's kind of how we do it. When someone does you a favor, what are you supposed to do? Do a favor for them, because you don't want to owe them anything. It's socially unacceptable. And so sometimes we try to work with God that way by paying him back, by paying back his favor. And so we look at our good works and we start to think, oh yeah, that's kind of that's good of me to do that because I kind of owed God. Everything about grace is not about owing. God never says, you owe me because I did this. He says, I did this because I love you. There's this thing called grace that I've invented and I am now spreading about in all of you, all of his people. Brand new concept, grace. But we struggle with this earning mentality, this deserved mentality, that while we start our lives with grace, oftentimes we fall into a rut of not living in grace, but living in works and trying to relate to God in a works type of righteousness. So I feel my relationship with God is good if I do this, do this, do this, do this, and stay away from this, 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 and this. And they're usually good biblical things, like if I, I go to church, if I pray, if I read my Bible, if I tithe, if I do these good things and I stay away from bad things, and whatever that list might be, um, we start to relate to God not on grace, but on works. And God says, no, 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 you don't relate to me on works. You don't get saved by works. You don't relate to me by works. And I know it kind of gets confusing, but he says we were created for good works. So what is that relationship between grace and good works? And how do I keep grace front and central and I still do good works without it getting to my head. You figure that out, let me know, because that could be really helpful for me. It's one of those strange dynamics in Scripture where there seems to be tension, where God says one thing, and he says another thing, and I'm supposed to somehow live in this tension between I'm saved by grace through faith and even that faith was a gift. It wasn't of my own initiative, my own power, but it was a gift from God. I exercised it, but it was God's gift. I'm supposed to do good works. So how do those good works relate to this life of grace? That really is the crux, the whole thing that we're going to be looking at over the next couple of weeks. How do I keep those two things in their biblical tension respect both things biblically, and then live in that. And I think one of the ways we start in that is found in 2 Peter chapter 1. The very first few verses of 2 Peter chapter 1. Uh, Peter, one of the close disciples, Peter, uh, James, and John, the three close disciples, 
Peter is the, the bold one, uh, quite bold, and that serves him well later in life, but got him into trouble as a disciple. But he starts his second letter, and he's writing to uh, pretty much Jewish believers who have fallen under persecution. So he's not writing to a city. Paul writes to cities, the church at Ephesus, the church at Thessaloniki, the church at uh, Galatia. He writes to specific cities and churches in those cities. Peter is more of a general writer. He's writing to just general Christians that kind of fit this criteria, and he generally has written to uh, Jewish believers or believers who have just grown up in the faith, uh, so maybe second-generation believers. And this is what he has to say in 2 Peter chapter 1, the first two verses, the greeting of the letter. Uh, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, showing his authority and his relationship to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. So he's saying, I'm writing to everybody who has faith. This precious faith. This faith that is Jesus Christ-based, not me-based, not you-based, but Jesus Christ-based. And it's a righteousness that just is, it's not yours. It's not your righteousness. It's God's righteousness that he places upon us. He says to all of them, I write the following, verse 2. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Grace and peace. Used multiple times in the New Testament as that phrase, grace and peace. And Paul, uh, uh, Peter wants something to happen with these two words, grace and peace. And what does he want to have happen with these two words according to this verse? He says, may these be yours. Okay, may I, may I possess these in abundance. And some of your translations may say multiplied. That's what it basically means. It means more and more and more and more and more. May grace and peace be yours in abundance. May it be so overwhelming in your nature and character, your thinking and your actions, that grace and peace are constantly on your mind. That constantly on your mind and constantly in your actions, you are remembering this life that I now live. I don't deserve it. This relationship I now have with Jesus Christ. The forgiveness of my sins. The fact that I can come and celebrate his death and resurrection. The fact that I can sing hallelujah to his name. The fact that he hears me in the quietness or the mightiness of a storm. He hears me in every situation is because of grace. It's because of undeserved, unmerited love and favor that he has lavished upon you. And Peter wants you to know about this multiplied time and time and time again. Grace in your life is not a one-time event when you get saved. It is an everyday activity It's an everyday thankfulness, isn't it? It's an everyday appreciation that I have this relationship with Jesus Christ, not because of my works and not because I failed, but because of grace and peace. Peace being this overwhelming sense of it's okay. It's going to be okay. Well, when life gives you cancer, you know what? It's going to be okay. When life takes away all your money, you know what? It's going to be okay. 
You mean when relationships are falling apart? Take a breath. Life is going to be okay. Doesn't promise painless life, but he promised a peaceful life. Peter says, you need this in abundance. Multiplied. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. How do we get it? I want this abundance of life is going to be okay. I want an abundance of never having to worry and stress about what happens. I want to be reassured daily that I am loved and that I am nurtured by God and that I see his kindness. I want that. How do I get it? Through, Peter says, the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. So if I want to have this amazing walking and living with grace, undeserved, unmerited love and favor, and I want a peace that overwhelms me in abundance, if I want so much grace and so much peace that anyone who looks at me goes, wow, grace and peace are yours, isn't it? Yes. How do you get it? You get it by a knowledge of God and of Jesus. You get it by thinking great and right thoughts about God and Jesus. It is filling your mind and your heart and your actions with God stuff. It's rather simple. If I want to understand and receive God's grace, daily live in that abundance, and I want to have a peace that overwhelms me in abundance, that life is going to be okay, I have to give myself to knowing God. I have to give myself to knowing Jesus as my Lord. I have to be attentive to who he is and what he's done. I have to become a student of all things God. It's not that hard to figure out. It's just hard to do it. And that's what I want us to try to do. I want us to be students of God, not for knowledge's sake. None of this is just about pure knowledge, reciting facts or reciting Bible verses and memorizing things. It's not about that. It's about how do I experience and then relate grace and peace in my life. Not just when I'm saved, but every single day God is doing his art project on my heart. Let's pray. As ushers or elders come forward. Father, thank you very much for just starting us out thinking daily about grace. Father, how hard it is at times for us to 